Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I am joined as always by Don Pizzette. Don, how you doing? I am doing swell. We got some great news lined up today. Some really interesting articles. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to our uh, who got pwned or dope. A lot of a lot of chip stuff. A lot of a lot of stuff about uh, silicon and big changes going on for Intel. We'll, we'll talk. I don't want to ruin it now. We'll no, talk yeah, about it's, it's, later. this is called a tease. We're, <laughs> we're getting the people excited about the future. And Daniel, how are you today? Today, uh, interested. I'm really looking forward to a couple of the articles we got going on today about some. Um, most used vulnerabilities and things like that. Really interesting. And, of course, talking with our guest as well. As, uh, seems to be a really interesting person. Nice segue. Thank you. And You're we welcome. are joined today by our special guest, John Morgan, who is the CEO of uh, Confluera, who, which is a cloud cybersecurity detection and response company. Did I get all that right, John? You sure did. Thanks so much for having me. Nailed it. All right. Pretty proud of that. I think I've got a fly flying around me here, yeah. too. It's Things are just falling it's apart here, <laughs> but uh, but John, we appreciate you uh, you taking the time to join us, and you're you're out in the heart of things, right, in Silicon Valley. Yeah, that's right. Born and raised uh, uh, here, so seen a lot of changes and in the thick of it for sure. Although, as you may have heard, a lot of people have moved out of California, so yeah, I'm still here. You got to follow uh, Elon over to to uh, Texas, and what, who else? Somebody else went to Texas. Oracle? Joe Rogan went to Texas, I think. Was... Didn't Oracle move too recently? Well, they where were they? they New they, Mexico. They've got places all over. Like they yeah. have a big. Yeah, I thought uh, they moved to headquarters. In oh, really? Yeah, that's a tax yeah. haven. No, I, I mean actually, <laughs> John, you are you, your boots on the ground over there. I, I've heard different stories. Some people say that there is this huge exodus happening from Silicon Valley, and then other people say no, that's being overstated. The media. I mean, uh, you're a CEO. Obviously, you've got employees. Have you seen like what's your impression? Are you seeing people leave? Well, I'll give you the first indicator of, is there a huge exodus occurring? And you would look at the housing prices. Uh, they're not falling, they're continuing to, to rise. So um, uh, there is a there is more movement going out than we've seen in the past, uh, but we haven't seen a, a mass uh, exodus like that. Well, I guess one of the questions too will be how many companies maintain a work from home after the pandemic versus say, come back, you know, because if, if you could make Silicon Valley money, but not pay Silicon Valley rent somewhere. And that would be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that would be yeah, pretty good. Yeah. All right, so yeah, John is I mean, hiring. It's definitely, a, it's definitely a choice now. People are making it, and they're, you know, uh, probably not making great friends when they t when they say they're from California. But yeah. uh... <laughs> Well, let's get to know a little bit more about John and, uh, and his company and his history in our first segment, which is Rapid Fire Questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, John, in this segment, what we're going to do is kind of rotate around the room here and rapidly throw questions at you. You'll see a timer on the right side of your screen, and with each question, you'll have approximately one minute to answer it. If you take too long, Peter will buzz you like that, and we'll move on to the next question, and we're going to start off with Peter. Uh, so this month, we're kind of focusing here on getting started in IT and, and kind of understanding uh, different people's journeys into IT and, and how we can help people get started there. But I'm curious about your journey because you're kind of on that executive side now. And I looked back and I was like, well, no, he actually did start, you know, as, as an engineer doing, you know, writing code and things like that. So tell us what got you into that originally and, and how did you start your IT career? Yeah, so for me early on, it was definitely security to be specific. I mean, I love to learn how things work. As you noted, I started out that way. Um, and you look at security, attackers have to exploit the technology and exploit how people work. 
uh, in order to, to, you know, to do their deeds. And um, so in order to defend cybersecurity, uh, you've got to learn how things work. So just a great natural fit there. And uh, from there, I progressed into a passion to help customers and, you know, provide, uh, you know, positive business outcomes. All right, let's take a minute and talk about Conflora. Uh, I'll admit, I wasn't familiar with the organization before, but I know you're active in the cybersecurity space. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what your company does? Yeah, so Conflora, we're an advanced cyber uh, attack detection and response solution. We're specifically built for cloud and modern application architectures. You know, we're lucky enough, we've been recognized by Forbes and others, uh, you know, as being a top uh, top 20 cybersecurity, uh, you know, company to watch this year. Uh, but we've got a platform with a unique approach where we actually have reduced the amount of time that it takes to get enough context to stop an attack before major damages occur. So you can see the attack in real time um, and uh, provide preventative measures. So that's kind of a, a high level of what we do. It's really key, though, is to make sure that we do this. We provide the solution with, uh, you know, without requiring as many highly trained personnel. Uh, that's one of the big uh, issues in the industry today. So that's a, a little bit about what we do. Well, John, I'm a little worried about you because, you know, that cloud thing's just a fad and it's going to go the way of the dodo any, <laughs> any month now, really quickly. So I'm really, I'm really pulling for you. But that said, you did recently release your cloud extended detection and response solution. What makes this product unique from its competitors? Yeah. So first, let's talk about a little bit about the problem we're solving. There's kind of two. One is the average uh, time to detect and respond to an advanced attack today is still six to nine months. It's despite all the technologies and all the things you've heard in security, that's far too long. The damage is done, right? So our differentiated storyboard capability really provides um, uh, the most advanced and automated creation of what the attacker is doing in real time. So you could do something about it, um, including attacker... Uh, you know, lateral movement and other capabilities there. Um, but we also solve this uh, for the cloud. So in the cloud today, one of the big issues is visibility and how do you know what's actually happening in your environment? So taking this advanced storyboard technology that we have with this great attacker visibility and mitigation capability and make sure that it solves the problem of, of detection and response, uh, you know, in the cloud. So that's what we call CXDR for cloud extended detection and response. It's really a purpose-built, um, you know, cloud capability uh, detection response solution. So I, I don't want this to count as my question, but <laughs> how old of a company is this? Uh, about three years. About three so years. So it came out, started in 2018, kind of came out of stealth in 2019. Gotcha. So you're still definitely in that that startup phase. So so what is the roadmap for you guys? I saw uh, on LinkedIn that you guys were were hiring. So I, I know it's growing. Or is it to build uh, some some different products as well, or you know, kind of grow the the existing ones? Yeah, we're, we're definitely growing. I mean, we're going to continue to answer the need of next generation, lower noise detection and response solutions specifically for cloud. We do have customers that are uh, hybrid and on-premise workloads as well, but that's kind of where, uh, you know, as you mentioned, that's where a lot of growth is for cloud. Um, we're going to keep focusing on it. Now we are built on an XDR platform. So uh, we believe that CXDR and the cloud detection response is kind of the first real application of an XDR next generation platform. So we'll go from solving cloud uh, to broadening to a general XDR platform. That makes sense. So what is the the attack vector that, that keeps you up at night? Yeah, so, uh, you know, due to increasing complexity and computing environments, we have a philosophy at Confluera, which is that if attacker wants in, it's really the only thing that's stopping them is motivation at this point. Um, and that's because of supply chain vulnerabilities you don't know of, you know, human insiders, et cetera. 
there's always a way in. Um, and it, it's really, so generally that's our philosophy. And that's why we create a solution that basically is, hey, detect it as fast as you can and stop it because it'll happen if you have something valuable. That said, um, if I, you know, if I think about what keeps me up at night from an attack vector perspective, you know, it's definitely the cloud. There's no question about it. And that's why we're, we're spending a lot of our energy creating this CXDR platform. Well, that makes sense, and that's actually a fantastic segue to our next segment. So I'm, I'm glad that was the answer. Otherwise, I wouldn't know how to transition. Uh, so we, we, while we have you here and you're an expert on the subject, we want to talk about uh, security challenges with cloud computing. We have an article that is from VentureBeat.com uh, that says public cloud security is, quote, just barely adequate, according to experts. And uh, obviously, you know, you guys are, are making steps to help that get beyond just barely adequate, but, uh, but why, why are we just, why are we so far behind in this area, do you think? Yeah, well, just, I mean, just barely adequate, you know, translate that to, you know, handle basic security, translate that to handle basic attackers, right? That's, uh, that's not going to be good enough. Um, you know, businesses are moving fast. They need to reap the benefits of the cloud. There's no question about that when it comes to business agility, um, you know, OPEX spending models and, and really better user experiences. So they're moving quickly. That's the way security usually occurs. It gets pulled in. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, that's what we're seeing. But the cloud is, it's different, right? It's got many other um, uh, vectors. Uh, you need specialized training. Uh, you can't take your traditional security methods and just port them over. Um, although that does happen, but it's not, uh, it's not, uh, it's not going to be adequate. I mean, we see, if you look at all these cloud kind of news that come out, I kind of see at least three different areas that are um, uh, key points that kind of come out in here. One is uh, lack of visibility in the cloud. Two is, hey, I'm in multiple clouds. How do I solve for that? And, and three is who? who who's, who's protecting me? <laughs> is it the cloud provider? Do I need to do it? How does that work? So these are kind of three themes that we see, um, uh, you know, in the cloud. Now, I know a lot of people do get confused over that shared responsibility model. They think that if they put something in the cloud, that it's being secured by the cloud provider, when in reality, there's just this like small subset of things the cloud provider is actually securing, and the rest of it's left up to us. What? So, Hold on, what? <laughs> there we go. Yeah, news, news, breaking news. Daniel's got some work to do. Yeah. Man, I'm going to bounce just for a minute. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's what's led to the articles we reported on where yeah. somebody has an exposed S3 bucket or, or something of that nature. So when, when I think of... Uh, well, like you, you know, you're talking about extended detection and response. I think of EDR, which is is really endpoint detection and response. So here, it, it's I guess the endpoint is basically in the cloud. But how are you able to monitor uh, non-server-based types of resources? Things like an S3 bucket, where an S3 bucket's the the underlying yeah. operating system is completely hidden from us. How, how are you able to monitor and and, and identify weaknesses there? Yeah, it's a good question. So the uh, if I kind of back up a little bit into kind of what we do in the cloud, it, it is a totally different, and what you're talking about is a different signal source, right? And the reality is that the cloud has many different types of signal sources. Uh, it's not just the workload, it's the control plane, data plane, um, you know, third-party services uh, that have to be monitored. Um, and so the cloud is just ultimately very different, not just from the signal perspective, but actually how you detect what you detect with those signals and how you actually respond. Um, uh, you know, workloads can be ephemeral or dynamic. You know, thousands could come up and down. Um, there's that multi uh, set of layers with S3 buckets and others um, uh, that has that shared ownership model. 
You've got more modern architectures like containers and Kubernetes environments, you know, higher scale, uh, multi-cloud, the list goes on and on of what the differences are. And we're seeing lots of, you know, uh, solutions kind of retooling. They may have been built for traditional security, um, you know, environments and they're kind of retooling for the cloud, but fundamentally it's a very different set of circumstances. So when you're looking at things, like you said, like S3 and other things in the environment, Fortunately, the cloud does provide quite a bit of uh, API uh, accessibility for understanding kind of who's touching what. There's also a really high central importance on identity and identity access management and understanding um, you know, privileges within that environment. So all of those kinds of signals are used to get a picture of, uh, of actually what your risk is and what runtime security um, uh, challenges you have. Are you able to do any kind of like detection when it comes to when you have like a multi-tenant environment, let's say that, you know, Bob's, you know, cat food over here doesn't do the best security, but you're sharing, you know, tenancy with him in, in your cloud environment and an attacker makes their way into Bob's stuff and they want to try to jump into um, different areas. Are you, is your solution able to detect and or prevent any of that? So we're we're not necessarily detecting if it went into somebody else's, you know, third party, you know, company, Bob's company in that case. And you're, you know, you're, uh, you know, you're Sally's company and, and whether somebody went from one to the other. But we are showing lateral movement uh, and we call it vertical movement, meaning if there's an attacker in the environment and they're even, uh, you know, doing lateral movement between containers or even going from things like containers to hosts, which might you call an escape. Uh, we're tracking these kinds of things. So we're, we're looking at actors in the environment, whether they came from Bob's uh, area or, or vice versa. Um, you know, we're looking at the attacker and how they're traversing. That's one of the properties of the storyboard technology we have, which is um, showing not just lateral movement, but also this vertical movement and even things like low and slow attacks. Um, as you know, attackers often they hide behind time. They just use time as their friend and try to create so much um, uh, noise that their signals obfuscated. And, and uh, so those are the things that we're actually tracking in the lateral movement side of things. Now, over the last year, we've had a couple of high visibility outages, right? Uh, Microsoft's Azure had outages, AWS had outages. And so I'm, I'm hearing people more and more start talking about multi-cloud that, hey, if I'm gonna deploy in the cloud, I don't wanna be beholden to one cloud provider. Let's spread the service across more than one. Uh, but one of the big warnings that I hear alongside of that is that it's a lot harder to manage security when you're implementing two different environments. Uh, you deal with people that are, are, are building up these cloud infrastructures on a regular basis. Are you seeing people go multi-cloud? And, and what, what are the security concerns around that? Yeah, we're absolutely seeing companies go multi-cloud. And while it's traditionally thought that the smaller the company, the, the less they do it. And, and while there's a tendency that for to be true, we're still seeing companies, even mid-market size companies, smaller organizations that are uh, utilizing clouds for different reasons. They may have applications that just have a, a better cost structure or better capabilities uh, in one cloud versus the other. Um, and also they have challenges where as the company gets larger, sometimes it's not even a conscious effort. They just, uh, they don't even know um, how many clouds they've got spun up because there's just projects that get uh, uh, get spun into these things. But some of the challenges with that, um, certainly with multi-cloud, uh, and that looks to be here to stay. It's very rare to I run in a company that's only in one cloud. If, and if they are, they're, they're looking at um, utilizing another one. But some of the challenges are just, one relates to um, cybersecurity personnel. I mean, you think about 
uh, it's hard enough to learn one technology stack, but if you're in multiple clouds uh, with different uh, tools and capabilities, um, you know, all of a sudden you have more burden on your already burdened uh, team. Um, misconfiguration, obviously that's one of the biggest issues when it comes to security in general. Um, and then just operating tools and getting a bird's eye view of what's happening across your different environments becomes very, very difficult. So those are some of the challenges uh, that we see. But again, the trend is here and I, I don't see it going away. Very cool. Well, we appreciate your insight on all that. It's definitely someone, uh, you know, right there in the front line. So you mentioned the, the CXDR uh, launch recently. Is that something that like that's fully out or is that in beta? People can go get that now? Yeah, no, it's it's out and we've done a few things. So as we're, um, uh, you know, we've just launched that and, uh, you know, we're really uh, also proud to, to be a Black Unicorn Top 10 Cybersecurity Startup Award that we just got this week. Um, and, and we're, you know, marching forward. But some of the things in in the CXDR that we've been really pushing forward is, is really how to adapt this visibility, attack visibility uh, that we discussed and adapted for cloud native environments. So we've put just released some things like more cloud native storyboarding capabilities where we're showing more uh, lateral movement across uh, containers, across control planes, data planes, network, uh, you know, Kubernetes environments, and really making sure that we're giving the visibility of the attack in real time there. Um, we're also doing things like, uh, you know, more integrations with cloud native, uh, like AWS uh, guard duty and, and load balancing capabilities in the cloud as signal sources for us. Um, there's things we're doing like, it's really important. So we're a runtime detection and response solution to figure out exactly if you've been attacked and, and what to do about it. Um, but there's a whole generation of shift left technologies that are uh, very important before runtime even starts. And we're integrating with those as well. Um, we view those as signal, by the way, if it's vulnerability or configuration posture management, the things we view those as signal, that's really important, helps us determine risk of your runtime environment. So uh, these are some of the capabilities that, uh, that we've just launched and uh, related to the announcements that uh, folks have seen. So to back up just a touch, uh, I know Unicorn is a company that, that's got a billion dollar valuation. What is a black unicorn? That's actually an award um, that we were given uh, this week as a top 10 cybersecurity startup that is affiliated or re related to, it's actually distributed by Cyber Defense Magazine, but it's uh, related in time to uh, Black Hat, uh, given this is uh, Black Hat week right now, 2021. Yeah, it's definitely going on right now. Are you, are you guys doing anything there? At the moment. Yeah, we've got a, a great uh, uh, booth, virtual booth. Uh, somebody can go there, download any of the latest material that we have, learn about the company, talk to someone at Confluera. Um, and we're obviously continuing to launch the CXDR platform uh, and overall solution space for our customers. Yeah, the day this podcast comes out is actually the last day of uh, Black Hat, so you can definitely uh, still get on there and and chat with the guys there. And if you want to find out more uh, later, uh, you can head to the website, confluera.com. C-O-N-F-L-U-E-R-A.com for those of you uh, just listening. But, uh, John, we want to thank you for uh, taking the time with us today. We really appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy. Hey, thanks so much. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, sounds good. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about the news that Don and Daniel were mentioning. So uh, stick with us. We'll be right back after this on TechNATO with Don Pizzette. How do IT leaders stay on top of their game with the IT Pro TV webinar series? Twice per month, IT Pro TV presents a webinar on current topics in the IT world. 
what are some of the key things we should be doing in our organization to make sure that we're prepared for disasters and then... Uh, so what do you say we go ahead and get started with today's topic, how to train your end users G-Thread. So we're going to talk about some of the major things that you need to do to help keep your people safe while they're working remotely. You can catch IT Pro TV webinars live or watch on demand when your schedule permits. See them all. Visit itpro.tv slash webinars today. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Pizzette. Thank you so much, John Morgan, for joining us and uh, making me even more scared of the cloud than I normally am. And uh, I don't know, do you guys feel better about the cloud? Worse? Same? Eh. eh. Yeah. I'm a security guy, so <laughs> I was aware. <laughs> so you knew it was just barely adequate? Yeah. Well, it'll get better. Sure it will. It's, hey. it's an evolving thing. You know, there's yeah. a lot more to monitor, so companies are having to catch up. And that, that's where, it, I mean, it's a great time to be a cybersecurity startup because there's so much new stuff to secure. A lot of stuff out there. And there's going to be more stuff tomorrow. There will. And then the stuff you were learning to secure yesterday will become irrelevant, and you'll have to yeah, start It's over. a fun game. Yeah. <laughs> Job security. Yeah. Uh, wanted to let you know about something we are doing now. Uh, we gave away a bunch of Technado shirts back when we did that 200th episode with Network Chuck a few months back, but wouldn't you know, we still have a warehouse full of them. And so <laughs> what we wanted to start doing was uh, if, if you send in a viewer mail, uh, if you go over to technado.com, there's a form you can fill out and send us your comments and uh, let us know, you know, if you agree with us, disagree with us, have an, a story idea you want to share. Uh, if we read that on the air, we will send you a link for a free Technado shirt and sticker. Let's give it stickers too. Sure. Yeah, why not? I'm going to suggest funny anecdotes about us. Yeah, if you say something <laughs> offensive, tell us, you know, why yeah. you think Daniel's stupid. Um, can I write my own? Yeah. <laughs> I gave you Daniel a shirt already. Daniel is dumb. I already gave you a shirt. Uh, but go ahead and send those in, technator.com, and uh, if we read them on the air, we'll get you get you out a shirt. So, uh, All right, well, let's get to the news. We've got a lot to get to today, and our first article comes from uh, hardware.slashdot.org. Google will abandon Qualcomm and build its own smartphone processors this year. So, Don, I was curious when I when I saw this headline. Is this does this have anything to do with the uh, you know the, the supply chain issues that people are having, or is, is this just them saying, "Hey, we want to manage the supply chain top to bottom"? So this is is not so much about supply chain as it is the bottom line, the, the dollar, right? So Qualcomm has been the standard processor in Android phones for a long time. Their their Snapdragon processors are, are what we find in most Android phones. There's exceptions, right? Like uh, with Samsung, where they use the Exynos processor over overseas. But even Samsung here in the U.S., they use Snapdragons. They use the Qualcomm processors. Well, Google has announced that they are developing their own internal system on a chip. And they're not starting from scratch because they already had one with their Tensor units that were originally designed for uh, machine learning and AI projects that they were dealing with. Well, now they're going to, well, they haven't actually said if it's that same chip that's being evolved working to mobile or if it's an all new chip with the same name. Like remember uh, Microsoft, the Microsoft Surface we have today is not the same thing as the Microsoft oh, yeah, Surface. Oh yeah, the table. Right, <laughs> yeah, it's it. a big, big right. difference. I think it was kind of cool. That was cool. I, we had one of those at my old company. Was, Did you really? Until somebody sat on it. <laughs> I, I kid you not. Nice. Yeah, Gorilla Glass doesn't protect from that? No, yeah. not, the, not this guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so what it does, though, is it shows that we are ushering in a new era of technology, and I thought it was worth talking about here. Uh, you know, in the past, people like me, 
that bought software. Like I, I bought software 30 years ago uh, and I still have it on my shelf. You can actually see it in my office. Like I've got my copy of Microsoft Bob and I knew that I could whip up a virtual machine and throw that software in there and still run that software today, right? Mm -hmm. I, I can run it as long as I want. But now that processor architectures are changing, now that old software doesn't run anymore. And so this is kind of like a new era of computing. And as, com as companies start to create their own processors, it creates some challenges for developers. Now, it's being overcome because even in the case of Google, they are using the ARM feature set. So if you're used to developing in an ARM environment, that'll run on top of their Tensor processors, just like it will under Apple's M1s, right? The, the hardware is very different, but the language you speak to it is the standard ARM language that people are used to. So. I think that you know, ARM isn't going away anytime soon. Uh, if NVIDIA can pull off their acquisition of it, that's all hung up at the courts right now. Uh, but it's not going away anytime soon. But Intel and AMD, boy, they are in they're in some real hot water here because you know they they've been fighting each other for so long, and they're both in danger of becoming irrelevant now. Yeah, because Apple was the other one that that went away recently. Yep, so. yep. Apple's yep. already done it, and and now Google is working on it. And mobile devices, like I, I was just telling somebody about this yeah. last Black Friday during the big after Thanksgiving sale, uh, they it was the first time in history that over half of online sales were placed via mobile devices instead of computers. Really? So the average person at home is more likely to be using a mobile device on an ARM processor. So my wife uses her phone to do everything. She is loath to pick up a laptop and do something. She's like, oh, it's just so much easier on my phone. I'm like, I would rather try to solve six Rubik's Cubes blindfolded in a tank full of sharks than yeah. use my phone to do stuff. Yeah. Well, I guess it's what you're used to. I mean, I, you spend all day at a screen this size going down to one smaller would feel foreign. Yeah. If that's what you know, she's so, on all day. Yeah, man. I, yeah. But I mean, when's the last time you had to clean malware off your wife's phone? Uh, never. Or when's the last time a update failed? Not that it doesn't exist, right? That it doesn't happen. Far but, less frequent. And, and the more that it becomes prevalent that people are using it, the more prevalent those yeah. things will become. So, I mean, we'll start seeing that. But, yeah, I just, I, my phone is more of a, uh, a la you know, I, I don't have a laptop in front of me and I need to get on the internet for X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Then I run to my phone. Typically, I use my phone as a phone. <laughs> I think for the average citizen out there, I don't know. I just watched Starship Troopers. That's why I'm saying citizen now. Uh, so, Would you like to know more? <laughs> so for the average citizen uh, who put in two years of service so they could become That's a right. citizen. Service ensure uh, citizenship, Don. <laughs> for them, mobile is a better experience. And so now when we see things like Google's own processors and Apple's own processors, that we're going to see things drift away from what we're used to. It's, it's a brave new world. Hmm. Exciting. I what will wait. that mean for me, the dinosaur? Until the bugs attack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, boomer, getting your laptop. <laughs> Frankly, Don, I find the idea of a bug that thinks offensive. <laughs> <laughs> you captured that really well. Yeah, I've seen that movie once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> All right, our next article uh, stays in the processor world, but is from Tom'sHardware.com. Itanium waves goodbye as Intel delivers last shipments of now forgotten processor family. Mm -hmm. IA64 is no more. It's here. Long live <laughs> x86. And I got to say, uh, they say now forgotten. I never knew it. <laughs> so I just you met can't it. forgot what you don't know. I right? just met yeah. it and it's already gone. Yeah, yeah. That's well, thing. you know, sixty-four bit processors are pretty standard today. Even inexpensive devices like the Raspberry Pi ship with a sixty-four bit processor, but it wasn't always like that. And in the the late, well, I would say it's actually the early nineteen nineties was when Sun Microsystems started doing sixty-four bit Spark processors, which were really expensive. Uh, 
Intel saw it as the writing on the wall, knew that we needed to move to 64-bit, and they created their Itanium brand of processors. They were the first Intel 64-bit processors. So up until then, everything was x86 or 32-bit processors, and here was their 64-bit IA. They call it 64-IA. Well, it flopped. <laughs> big, time. big time. So it was expensive. The performance wasn't great. The software support was frustrating. Uh, it just didn't make it. So you saw it in some big data centers, but that was about it. It never made it to consumer devices at all. So I'm not surprised Peter hasn't heard of it because none of his devices, it, it, like, it wasn't even an option. But if you were purchasing servers in the early 2000s, Itanium was, was out there quite a bit. Well, it flopped. And AMD's solution actually won out. You know, they actually did good software support on it and they showed performance improvements. They were able to address all the memory they were supposed to address. And that's why the 64-bit standard we use for Windows and, and operating systems like Linux uh, is called AMD 64 when you install it, not x86. And so sometimes you'll see like x86 underscore 64, but it's actually the AMD 64 feature set that's being used there. Well, the Intel Itanium didn't actually completely go away until this week. So this is it. The last Itanium processor has been manufactured, and that ship has sailed. Uh, and Snatch them up while you can, right? <laughs> just highlights. Like, Intel has had a bad run of it for the last they decade. They really have. Yeah. You know, every time we do an Intel or, uh, like, a processor story, Intel's in there just struggling hard. They, you know, they... Trying they, to get five nanometers. Like, oh, I get seven. You know, they're drinking themselves to death. And even their seven nanometer <laughs> stuff is not at the yield rate it's supposed to be at. And TSMC is already saying, well, we're working on our two nanometer. Yeah. Good luck. How you doing over there, yeah. Intel? So, you know, the, the chip leader, and, and their, their new CEO even said it, like, Intel has got to be better at creating processors than some, I forget what they call it, like a lifestyle company. They're talking yeah. about Apple. Like, <laughs> Apple shouldn't be able to come out of the blue and make a better processor than us, but they did. Yeah. 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 Oops. Well, you better get it on lockdown over there at the Intel factory. What can I say? All right. Uh, so, yeah, sell that Intel stock. <laughs> That's the takeaway here. And now let's head over to CNBC.com for our next article. Amazon hit with $887 million fine by your Euro European privacy watchdog. Uh, and that is that translates to 746 million euro. Yes. Wow. That's wow. That's a lot. You wow. know what? Now, so this is a GDPR violation. It yep. is a GDPR violation, and that's why I brought this one in because several years ago, uh, I'm pretty sure it was you and I, Peter. I don't back think when you, you violated GDPR. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, <laughs> he just so, read a list of names out on the <laughs> show. It's weird. Yeah. Let's talk about. Let's find <laughs> patterns in social security numbers. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so we talked about it back uh, back then when GDPR was going live and companies were really worried. Like, what what if I'm not fully compliant on day one? And one of the things that I said was, you should try. But if you're not, the penalties are written into GDPR, but it hasn't actually gone before the courts yet. Nobody's been walloped with a big fine. And that GDPR is really targeted to the massive companies that abuse personal data, which is really Google, Facebook, Microsoft, a couple of people like that really focused on Google and Facebook. That's really who GDPR was hitting. Well, fast forward to today. It's been three years since GDPR has been active. We've all been kind of working around it. And finally, we see the first big hit. And I, I'm kind of caught by surprise. I didn't expect it to be Amazon, mm. but it was. So Amazon- Who, who was your hit. call, Don? Who, Facebook. Like, Facebook was your- That seemed like the no-brainer. Just the- 
the easy win. And I still think we'll see more out of Facebook. No, give them time. Give them yeah, time. <laughs> but, but with Amazon, uh, this is almost a billion dollars, like very, yeah. very close. A huge fine. And remember under GDPR, they can charge you up to uh, 4%. Twenty million or four percent of yeah. your annual global global right. revenue, yeah. revenue, yeah, right. Uh, whichever is greater. Do the so. Amazon do the Amazon uh, CEO C levels just stand around and go? Well, I I got three hundred million. Yeah, what right? do you got in your pocket? You, what, you're, they, light, you're only you're only carrying ten million dollars. Jeff Jeff Bezos had to to cancel one of his next trip to space. To, oh goodness, yeah. So is that guy ever going to catch a break? I know. It's, it's it, be hard. Uh, you know, it, it does sound like a ton of money. It probably isn't a ton of money to Amazon, but I'm sure they don't want to pay out $887 million. So I think they make $100 million, I'm sorry, $100 billion a year. Yeah. That's well, so they'll be okay. They, they'll, they'll, yeah, probably they'll probably pull. They'll be all right. Yeah. But they'll, they'll fight it. I'm sure they, they'll fight it. They'll yes. definitely fight it. It will go up through the courts, and we'll see what happens. There's a number of outcomes that could happen. One, they could just pay it. Uh, two, they could get it reduced significantly. They say that they followed all the rules that they did not do the things they're being accused of, so it could go away completely. That's like sounds like somebody that violated GDPR would yeah, say. That is. <laughs> well, you know the other guys. You know Facebook, Microsoft. They're all yeah. watching this. Yeah, in the back with going, bated breath. Oh, these terrible guys. But are they going to make them pay that? Yeah, can yeah. You, is this, yeah. this is not going to be real. And then, right? you know, they're <laughs> dealing with their antitrust stuff yeah. too. And so, oh man, we'll, we'll have to see. This will be one to watch. To see what happens, it'll take years to play out. Remember the Microsoft Monopoly trials oh, yeah, that went that on for like forever. six years. Yeah, yeah, that, that's how this will be. But uh, but it'll be interesting because now we actually get to see right. what it's like when GDPR is applied. There will be some precedents that I, I would imagine mm-hmm. at this point because that's their whole thing, right? Like this hasn't really happened before in this way, and now we're going to get to get into the court and start digging into the thing on how something about how ads are. Are generated for end users really interesting and how that's interpreted by those courts i got a feeling things ain't going to go their way now, i don't is, know that's just my gut instinct there is one scenario it's extremely <laughs> unlikely but it's possible that amazon could just look at europe and say well if you're just going to randomly charge us 880 million dollars from every now and then then it's not worth it for us to do business there they could flip up the double birds and yeah. walk right out of europe and just say that's it we're not we're not selling yeah. in europe anymore they cue the beastie boys or something right <laughs> they, they could do that meanwhile Aww. aws is is a is a separate company in that regard uh, still under the umbrella, I don't know how the suit... The suit certainly applied to the retail portion of Amazon, not necessarily the AWS side, but it, it's all under one holding company, so I, I don't know which one it applied to. Maybe they just upped the price of Prime, like 10 euro a year <laughs> yeah. each, and be like, hey, it's Get coming out of your pocket. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's hard It's hard to, you know, plead, oh, I need help when you, when you did just go to space. <laughs> uh, I, I think it would be a cool move, though, if, if Bezos just, like, takes off in his rocket... Yeah. And land and like lands, you know, the rocket over there in, in Great Britain's like, I brought your cash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm here to pay my bill. Here, here it is. That's a in pennies. That would be a, a big baller move. I hope he does. And then a giant orb of copper comes from space. <laughs> <laughs> Destroys half of Europe. Yeah. I've got this asteroid. It's full of diamonds. Yes. There's your money. You know, if anybody's going to do it, Jeff Bezos, he, yeah. he is like as close to a James Bond villain really as we is. have ever had. Really is. is he more a yeah, Bond villain or like Iron Man kind of like billionaire who, you know, has a... Nah, he's not Based Iron Man. Much. That's yeah. more like Elon Musk. He's Elon Musk. Yeah. 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 No superpowers. He's just... No. Yeah, yeah. Elon, yeah. Sent, <laughs> Elon sent a roadster into space. That's more yeah. like an Iron Man move. All right, uh, let's head over now to ArsTechnica.com. With help from Google, 
impersonatedbrave.com website pushes malware with a valid TLS certificate. Uh, Fauxbrave.com could even fool uh, could fool even security savvy people. And it says with help from Google. Yes. Google did not willfully help. Like, hey, let's make this cool they malware. Did. They did. Oh, weird. they did. No, I'm okay. kidding. <laughs> in, in a way, they kind of facilitated this happening. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. So uh, it is worth pointing out right from the beginning that none of this is Brave's fault. Nope. Uh, Brave actually didn't do anything wrong at all none of their servers were affected or anything so they're they're just the the target of this yeah. attack if they did anything wrong it was become popular yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so it's a punny code i see the yeah i was like i got something on my screen no it's the little dot over the e i thought it was pronounced puny code i don't know is it punny code okay well anyhow, puny. Puny. i thought it was puny yeah so let's go with puny let me explain what's happening here yeah. uh and then we'll, we'll make fun of going, the pronunciation what's in a going on so for many many years the domain names that we use on DNS servers only supported ANSI characters, and so it was very English-focused. If you spoke another language or had a different written alphabet in your country... Too bad. Too bad. You yeah, can't go to that, my internet. That's exactly how it was for decades. In and our then, defense, we did make it, and it just yeah. seemed the good default seemed a good at idea the time. time. Yeah. Yeah. Make your own internet. <laughs> yeah. But even, even for our neighbors, like uh, in, in Mexico, in Spanish, you have characters like the Enya, the double L, which I've forgotten its name, the Aja or whatever, however you know. say that. Uh, my apologies to everyone who speaks yeah. Spanish. Uh, Our apologies to everyone, honestly. So, <laughs> so, you know, we just didn't have those letters, and so you couldn't get them in domain names. Well, over time, they changed the standards and introduced the ability to support international characters, which opened up the ability to do what I thought was called Punicode, because I thought it was a playoff of Unicode. Right. Uh, but Puny, P-U-N-Y, as in tiny, Punicode allowed people to do special characters like accents. And, you know, in the French language, you have many different accents. In languages like Vietnam, you have all sorts of, or Vietnamese, you have all sorts of crazy tags and, and things that add on to letters. So it, it creates the ability for people to have those domain names, which totally makes sense. However, attackers took advantage of that, and they registered Brave.com. Now, Brave.com is already taken, and it's, it's used by the Brave browser. The exception here was that the letter E in Brave had a very small dot above it. It's a type of accent, not the accent we're used to, but just a little dot that was incredibly easy to overlook. And because it was a domain name that was not taken, the attackers were able to register the domain, get a valid certificate for it because they owned the domain, and they then cloned the Brave website and made it look identical, except when you click the download button, you would download their malware package instead of the web browser. So they did a perfect clone taking advantage of these special characters. And if you're like me, uh, over 40, where you can't tell if that's just uh, a speck of, of dust on your screen or an actual E, very easy to click on, very easy to yeah. uh, make that mistake. So, and, and you know, if you stick that into a phishing email, people are going to see some kind of term and they're used to floating their mouse over it to see what the actual URL is. So you float over it, and that accent is so small at that point, you might not even notice. It looks like it's brave.com. Yeah, because it's not even like the you know the big one you would see like in Spanish, like the apostrophe kind of look. It's it's just a tiny, yeah. tiniest pixel there. Yep. And then where Google comes into play is that the attackers then bought Google ads to promote their website <laughs> oh, to download oh, Brave. Fun. And so you would see a banner for Brave, and if you floated your mouse over it, well, you'd see the AdSense whatever, but if you sifted through that mess, you would see this fake Brave.com and go to it. So that drove traffic to their site and increased the spread of their malware. And if, hmm. if you're coming from that, uh, you know, from an ad, you might not even know the Brave browser. You might not even know that that's not how it's actually 
spelled or oh yeah. that's their little that's their logo. Ooh, must be Brave. Yeah. <laughs> Brave. Yeah, I've been yes. saying it wrong all these Sounds years. Fancier yes. now, man. And, and this so, is the browser I want. <laughs> so speaking of things I've been saying wrong, so uh, so puny code is the term for those types of the character and set. Okay, the character set that lets you type those. Yep. I mean, I wouldn't even know. So it's probably like. Shift Command X yeah, you know, yeah. E or something to type that. So you know, ANSI A N S I uh, is I don't know National American National Standards Institute or something like that. Uh, but anyhow, they had created a character set back in the 1980s, and it is really just like yeah. Latin characters and and what we use in English. Uh, Unicode extended that and added tons and tons of support. So like UTF-8 is what we see on most Linux distros and other places, uh, databases. So you get the full character set that supports everyone in the world. And then Punicode was designed to kind of make it a little more accessible and easier to use uh, and, and reduce that set. So mm. what, did, what did you guess ANSI stood for? Uh, isn't it the American standards? Oh, I looked it up, so I'm just I'm I, testing. I you. said something wrong, right? I said American National Standards Institute, but American yeah. and National doesn't make sense. So, what, what does it actually say? It for? is the American National Standards it's Institute. Institute. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. I had it. Yeah, ah. of America. Normally of we America. need Normally yeah. need Wes here to get acronyms right. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's standard. <laughs> I'm st- yeah, I'm still shocked at how like he's just whipping those things off. He, he he's very stuff. good at that. He is, yeah. Like, he's, it's kind of freaky. He's got one of those memories that just locks way, it down. Way back in the BBS the days, opposite. we used to use ANSI codes and stuff to create pseudo-graphics. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've done the IT Pro TV logo with, with ASCII. Oh, yeah? Uh, before yeah. for that. Oh, ASCII's even more basic. Yeah. 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 Oh, wait, not basic. It was ASCII. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> That's a good joke, there, Peter. I'm uh, gonna give you credit for that one. Yeah. I was like, I hope these are comparative <laughs> things. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty five points to Peter. Yeah. Judges. It. We're gonna start keeping score. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. All right. Uh, our next article. Let's see. Uh, yeah, this is uh, from eSecurityPlanet.com. FBI. Uh, do I say, is this CISA? Do I say it like the like the CompTIA? Certification, CISA? I have no idea. I would assume it was CISA. <laughs> CISA? Yeah. Okay. Well, we learned recently... Because if it was CISO, they say CISO. We it's learned recently from, the, from yeah. the person at CompTIA who is responsible for that certification that you're supposed to say CYSA. Really? Yeah. That's what he said. Well, that's never going to happen. So yeah, get no. real. We told him he was wrong. <laughs> yeah. And then we uh, so FBI and CISA okay. reveal most exploited vulnerabilities. And uh, Don, don't leave us in suspense. What, what are they? Oh... I can't disclose that. Yeah. This is yeah. So they, they actually did a study and they looked at not not what are the most dangerous exploits or what are the most effective exploits. They looked at which exploits were being used the most. In other words, the ones you're most likely to be seeing scanning traffic for and so on. And they pulled the top thirty to publish out and let people know. And it's not so much which exploits they were that's important, it's the dates attached to these things. Like when you go through and read the CVE numbers, some of them, actually a lot of them are from 2019. You'll see a few from 2017, 2018, a couple from 2020. And that means that these are exploits that people know about, that patches have already been released and are out there, but people just aren't updating. That's the real takeaway from this article, is if you're not updating your crap, it's not going to take long <laughs> for a hacker to be able to get into your system and compromise your network. 
Uh, but they did kind of divide it up based on products. So there were several that focused on Microsoft Exchange, other ones on Pulse VPN. Uh, and so like if you don't run Exchange or you don't run Pulse, you don't care about those. So in the top 30, you might just be able to ignore half of it. But then when you hit a product you do use, like VMware had, I think, just one in the list. Uh, but there's a lot of big companies, Fortinet, F5, Microsoft, Atlassian, that all have these exploits that are some of the most commonly exploited. And that means they're used by more than one malware payload, more than one worm for spreading. And these are ones that you absolutely need to have patched in your environment. Yeah, we talked, uh, I think it was two weeks ago uh, when we had, uh, let's see, Snehal and Tani on, and we t he talked about the difference between vulnerable and exploitable. And so this is things that we're saying, these are actually exploitable things that, that can get you in trouble. Not only are they exploitable, but they are actively being exploited in the wild on a constant basis. So it's not a if, it's a you will be hit by people trying to take advantage of these. What was the big dog? Did they tell you? Did they give you the, this is the most exploited vulnerability we have found? Well, is, it, is it in There's an a, order or is it just a... Hmm. Shoot, when I jumped into it, I, I broke it down by product, so I didn't see... I think it's got to be. The official oh, hold on. Here are the 12 most exploited vulnerabilities announced today. Yeah, when you look at right? this list, they're, they're not in order of date because the dates go yeah, back and right. forth. These so are... This it looks like that's Citrix. Of... Right. So there, there is a number one. It is a out-of-bounds right. Let's see what product this one affects. So they're using a CWE number, which are annoying numbers. Oh, goodness. Um, not CVE. Yeah, I don't know why they're doing that. A weakness ID, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and this is, oh, it's because it's a it's a programming language vulnerability. It's a problem oh. in C++ and C. So, yeah, not, not tied so to So it's some product. like, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha, so, gotcha. So now you got to go and figure out, all right, which well, product actually uses this. I'm looking at the article. They have this most exploited vulnerabilities. Here are the 12 most exploited vulnerabilities announced today, and they are associated with CVEs and the type as well as the vendor. And the number one that they have there is from Citrix, which is CVE 2019-19781, which is an arbitrary code execution. Correct me if I'm wrong, that bad. Yeah, and Citrix, it, when I think Citrix, I always think of their uh, remote desktop yeah. solutions. But they make a number of load balancers that are out mm. there that are, uh, you know, like SSL or encrypted load balancers. And so that's a, a critical piece of infrastructure for a lot of data centers. Yeah, you don't want people taking over that stuff. That could be bad. Upon. Yeah, a lot of RCEs in this list, which is scary. Bad. Yeah. Yeah, and it's from different organizations. So you got one from F5, Mobile Iron, Microsoft. Atlassian, um, oh, Drupal. Drupal was in there, yeah. Yeah, Telerik, another Microsoft. <laughs> this is like the FBI's, you know, yeah. top 10 most wanted, but yeah. now now the computer version this of that. This is the top 10, please don't do this. Yeah. The, the big difference, though, like when you see the top 10 most wanted criminals, it's not like I look at it and say, oh, I'm going to go look for those 10 people. Yeah. I wonder how many I can get. Yeah. yeah. Well, you go, how many of these are in my house yeah. right now? Basically. Let me start looking at bounties on these guys. Now, but maybe he, if there were bigger bounties, people would do that. Maybe. <laughs> we feel like dog the bounty hunter. Yeah, right? exactly. But looking at this, here's a list of 30 CVEs that are already patched. And so I can look at that and say, all right, I'm going to make sure these are patched on my network. I'm yeah. going to make sure that I've got some kind of scanner that's scanning my network to make sure I'm not vulnerable to this. Now, Don, I know from the very fact that even though that seems easy, nobody really does it. So that must mean it's not as easy as it sounds because I'm not doing it. Right. What? Update your stuff. Yeah. Update yeah. your stuff. I wonder if they'll put this in the post office. I saw a uh, uh, 2020 show the other day where these kids at a camp went to the post office to mail a letter and saw their counselor 
on the top 10 list. He was a murderer. Oh, yeah. Geez. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if you're going to post these things in the post office, I think you need some kind of visualization, like a mascot for each one. Mm-hmm. In yeah. fact, I, I already know who we can get. They need to get whoever it is that makes Olympic mascots. Ah. Because they all look like nightmares. Yeah. And so we can just make that, and that's what'll go on the wall. I haven't even seen the Tokyo one this year. Uh, I I just haven't been watching much Olympics, but is it, it's up there with the. I think it's hard to watch the Olympics because of it being in Japan. Like the time is so different. And the big things, I get notifications on my phone from ESPN and stuff. It's like, you know, the U.S. women's soccer team didn't advance to the Gold Cup. And then that's the game that's on at night. I'm like, well, I'm not watching this. I know they lose. So Uh, it's disappointing. Because right, uh, we got to watch it as replays, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. The uh, the mascot this year is Mirai to- Toa, sure, uh, which looks possibly like a cat, maybe rabbit yeah, yeah. anime person with big blue eyes. Okay. Um, not as bad as some of the one that had the okay. lightning bolt eyebrows and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that there's one been was some freaky ones in yeah. the past for sure. Then there was the one with like the slasher mask and a big knife. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. like Chucky dolls. Yeah, everybody had weird. Chucky dolls. That's more of a winter. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah, a winter yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. Well, the red really contrasts with the white. You know? <laughs> right, one one more article here. We've got uh, in our dough segment. Dough this dough. week. So let's let's roll that. All right, this one is from theregister.com. Scam baiting YouTube channel, tech support scams. Uh, tech support scams is the name of the scam baiting YouTube channel. Was taken offline by a tech support scam. Now that's what I call irony. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> man, oh man. Uh, so I guess they were proving how effective these... Tech support scams were. How do they get? How how do they get tricked on this one? Because this right. is what they well, do. Well, Don, tell us. So you know, this just shows like how how hard it is to stay vigilant. And and if you're a security professional or a trainer, you're telling people like, hey, you need to look for these red flags. It's still hard to do, even when you're on the lookout. And uh, this guy, which uh, I have somehow lost the article, is his name Jim Brown or something, something so, like that? Jim Browning. Jim Browning. There we go. Uh, so Jim Browning, he has a YouTube channel, which I believe is just youtube.com slash Jim Browning, or at least that's where it normally was until it disappeared mysteriously last week. Uh, he spe- specializes in setting up these little honeypot systems to draw in tech support scammers. And once he has them, he has a technique where he's able to figure out where they're connecting from and start to gather information about the scammer. And then he uses that against them in some very entertaining YouTube videos. He's posted hundreds of them. If you're ever bored, check out his channel. I've seen him. He's uh, funny. Jim Browning. Well, he got a notification and it was from Google or it appeared to be Google. Attackers were able to use the the uh, Google chat system to basically kick out an email that showed as being from a at google.com address, which is kind of a green light. When you look at an email, it, lots of people have Gmail accounts, but only employees have an at google.com address. So it looked legit. And it was explaining how he had duplicates, uh, uh, shoot, what are they called? Brand ID accounts or whatever that, you know, it's where you set up your identity in YouTube for your channel. And because of the duplicate AdSense accounts, he was at risk of having an account deleted, which is loosely based on fact, like because Google gives away these hundred dollar credits left and right. So yeah. if you have more than one account, you can abuse that and they, they they don't let you do that. So he was worried about losing his three million views or subscribers and all of that, uh, his hundreds of videos. And so he connected up with their tech support and started to talk about what he needed to do to fix it. And 
instead of doing the really obvious things that scammers do, like, well, let me remote into your computer and do this, or I need you to confirm your password, the attackers simply sent him instructions. Says, hey, we need you to go to this web page, and you're going to click on this, and they even did it in the live chat. You're going to see this, and you want to click here, and if you hit delete your channel, don't worry, on the next screen, it'll give you the opportunity to move it. And so he hit delete the channel, and sure enough, on the next screen, it gave him the ability to move it. But they had tricked him into creating a blank brand ID, which then copied over, and he lost his entire channel. The next phase of the attack was to give control of the original channel to the attacker, and that's when he figured out it was a scam. So he had already deleted his own channel, and he did it himself, which shows how sophisticated these yeah. attackers are. They knew every screen, every prompt, and had a way to explain it. And the attacker was basically copying and pasting a script, and it got him. But it finally led him to a Google form where the URL wasn't quite right. He could spot that, and it asked for his password. And the moment he saw that, he knew it. He knew he got caught. So fortunately, and this is kudos to him, he switched to education mode. And he started gathering all the information he can or could, and he put out a video just yesterday as of the filming of this, uh, where he actually walks through the whole process, exactly how he was scammed. He highlights all the stuff. So it's a great learning opportunity. Wow. So I, I've got a chart here when I go to his homepage, uh, which is interesting. I, I don't know if I just get this chart because I have uh, a plugin installed <laughs> called TubeBuddy on, uh, on YouTube. But it shows me his stats, and it shows the number of views gained uh, each day, and it averages about uh, 300,000 or so. Um, if you go Jeez. back a couple weeks, it's about 150,000. Then there's a one, two, three, four, five, six-day period uh, where it flatlines. But now he's averaging 974,000 views a day. So not the worst thing. Yeah. yeah, not the worst thing for the guy. And that's the point, Don, I think that you made, is that he turned it into a positive of, I'm going to use this yeah. because... It could be extremely embarrassing for, well, I'm sure yeah. he was embarrassed, but to say, nope, well, let's capitalize on this. It goes with the brand. He did retain control of the account. I mean, the channel was deleted, but he never gave out the credentials to his account. Um, and even had he done that, he had two-factor authentication turned mm -hmm. on, so the attacker wouldn't have been able to use it to get in. Although they had a lot of other information where they potentially could have done a, a, a reset of yeah. 2FA. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was able to contact Google Tech Support. And it took, I, I thought he said four days to get the channel restored, which honestly, that's the fastest I've ever heard good. Google respond to anything. Well, so, when you have three over 3 million subscribers, I guess yeah. you get a phone number. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me that his first thought wasn't, okay, I've received something that looks like it's legitimately from Google saying that I'm in danger of blah, blah, blah. Let me call them. Let me contact them straight to Google. I know the number I'm dialing is Google. I know the email contact is Google. Yeah. It's a support number. I mean, that's one of the basic things we tell people that if a, a scammer contacts you and says, I'm from Microsoft, they don't contact you. You hang up and you call back. And if Microsoft really has a problem and they need to talk to you, they'll be like, oh, yeah, we know about this. Let's get this fixed. Yeah, he explains in the video how he how he initially fell for it. Yeah. And he said part of this was coincidence. Hmm. Like he had just set up an additional brand ID the day before. So they happened. To, and this yeah. came along and he said that was a kind of a perfect storm, but it was kind of already in his mind. Yeah. And, uh, and then when he was contacted, the email address that was used was chat, no dash reply at google.com at, which is something yeah. he's gotten emails from. Yeah. I'm sure. And the link for support was a Google chat link. So it was all in the Google ecosystem. So you and can't so that's trust how he fell for it. Links. Yeah. yeah. No, that's ever. Yeah. They can, they can be disguised, but, uh, 
he's got it back. So, so yeah, that's good, good for him. But I'm glad. I, to hear I, it. I wonder though, and I, I have not watched that video following up, and I wonder it's if he 20 knows. Twenty minutes. It's worth it to watch. Yeah. It. Yeah. Does Does he know? Is it someone that he has pissed off before by it has exposing be. them? No. Uh, so he he actually mentioned in there because he he did actually start to chat with the with the oh the right because the end game the end. wasn't them deleting his channel. It was to try to gain control of it. Right? And he said that uh, you know he believes that they've just been going through. The guy said he's been doing it for three years. Uh, so they've just been going through trying to seize channels and then. Oh, so he still, talked to him after he knew it was a scam, and the mm-hmm. guy was actually forthcoming with him. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it was strange, but that happens. Hey, I'll be damned. Yeah. We get to learn from it, so do that. Watch that video, learn from it. I will. Thank you. And knowing is half the battle. All right. Uh, a couple things I want to let you know about. We've got a couple of webinars coming up. There's one happening today, Thursday, August 5th, How Apprenticeships Help Employees and Employers. That's with Amy Cardell from CompTIA and our very own Ronnie Wong. So we're going to be doing that at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Don't worry if you're watching this after that because it will be archived and uh, you'll be able to check it out at itpro.tv slash webinars. Uh, and then we've got the next one coming up Thursday, August 19th. Is your security battle tested? Proving your security works the way you want it to with uh, Ben Fink. So that will be taking place on, like I said, Thursday, August 19th, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Check those out, itpro.tv slash webinars. And uh, then head over to technado.com and you can send us that viewer mail and, and get yourself a shirt when we read your mail on the old podcast here. And uh, hit the big orange button up in the corner. It says sponsored by IT Pro TV, And you can get a 30% off coupon code for the lifetime of your personal subscription uh, to IT Pro TV, And you can also request a team trial if you have a team and uh, and want to find all the great features like the pro portal that are available to teams at IT Pro TV. So check us out, technado.com. Uh, also, a few of us are going to be out in Las Vegas next week um, for the HIMSS conference, healthcare uh, IT show. Uh, so if you happen to work in that field and you're going to be out there, uh, definitely stop by and say hi. We'll be at booth uh, C606. Uh, I will be there. And uh, so, yeah, I'll sign your badge or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll have to go get a new badge because I ruined your badge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to meet you and, and shake your hand. And I'll tell you what, if you if you come over and say you saw us on Technado, we'll give you a, uh, a Technado t-shirt there as well. I'm just giving them away. We're just giving them away. Hit him with a dirty sock while you're there. If you do that, <laughs> you get two t-shirts. There you go. See? Yeah. Bag full or Nailed. sock full of coins. Yeah. yeah. Then you get to go to jail because yeah. <laughs> that's the salt. Two t-shirts, <laughs> yeah. a sticker. In prison. Yeah, that's right. You get to talk about the lovely people you it's met think in of the, the county from, lockup. Uh, <laughs> the guy from Parks and Rec. Jail. You go yeah, straight, straight to, to jail. jail. Yeah, straight to jail. Surprisingly, jail. Still jail. Get Peter with a sock full of coin. <laughs> straight to jail. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks, guys. And uh, we'll see you next week right here on Technado with Don Pizzette.